Good morning, Trinity. How's everybody doing? Good. Amen. Um, I am grateful to be here. Um, it's a joy to be here. Um, I like to publicly rush and express my uh, appreciation for uh, the elders here at Trinity, but also your, your pastor, Pastor Josh, for allowing me to come to preach the word this morning. Um, it's a joy and honor to be here. I will say it is a little kind of weird seeing some of my professors in the congregation. Um, it's usually the other way around where I'm sitting down, they're up front, uh, but the tables have turned, so to speak. So, yeah, I'm excited to, to, to be here. Um, as mentioned, my name is John, uh, executive pastor at Roosevelt Community Church, downtown Phoenix. Um, I love those people over there. My wife and I, we've been there for several years, and they send their greetings as well. Today, we're going to be spending our time in the book of Colossians. And I know you guys have been cruising through the book of 1 Peter, but today I'd like to invite you, if you have your Bibles with you, to meet me in the book of Colossians. Meet me in the book of Colossians. If you don't have one, I'm sure your neighbor wouldn't mind if you look on with them. Please meet me in the book of Colossians. I'm going to be coming through the coming from the English Standard Version of the Bible, the ESV. And uh, while you're turning there, before we continue, uh, I think it would be good to just give a a quick disclaimer, if you will. Uh, If you haven't noticed yet, I am an African American preacher. Full disclosure, okay. Within the African-American or black preaching tradition, sometimes it can function like a, like a call and response or uh, where the pew and the preacher engage, all right? So here's the deal, Trinity. During our time today, I may say some things that, there we go. I may say some things that may make you, uh, make you um, excited internally, It may cause you to ponder. It may cause you to contemplate. It may even cause you to make a joyful noise to the Lord. And in the event event that that happens, I just want you to know that it is totally, I mean, you have my full permission to make that noise. That sound, it can be an amen. It could be a hallelujah. It could be a preach it, pastor. Whatever you feel comfortable with. I may even solicit an amen or two from you. And when that happens, somebody or even multiple people will say amen. So can we just try that one time? I just want to make make sure we're all on the same page. So on the count of three, one, two, three. Amen. All right. All right. I think we got it. I think we got it. Uh, For some of you, that may be the only time you say amen today. And that's totally fine. Um, Perhaps you just like sitting there, nodding your head, taking notes, and I just want to say that that is okay as well. All right? Is that okay, Trinity? Amen. If you've been living under a rock lately, I want to inform you that Jesus is not honored the way he ought to be. Jesus is not adorned and respected as he should. Within our society, within our culture, he isn't regarded as holy. He isn't regarded as Yahweh. He isn't regarded as Savior. And sadly, he isn't regarded as the Supreme One. 
The main point or main idea from my text is Christ is supreme over all. Christ is supreme over all. And we're going to look at five reasons. Somebody say five. Five reasons why he is supreme over everything. So if you don't mind, if you are physically able to stand, please stand as I'm going to read the word of God into your hearing. I will pray and then we will dive in to this text. Colossians chapter 1 verses 15 through 20. My Bible reads, he is the image of the invisible God the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all of the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. I like to tag this text in our exchange today, Jesus the Supreme Lord. Jesus the Supreme Lord. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the men and women who are here, who are around the room. Thank you for bringing us into a sanctuary where we can worship you freely, where we can hear your word, where we can fellowship, where we can be in awe of who you are. Please hide me behind the cross so your word will get proclaimed. Your people will be encouraged so we can glorify you, edify your church, and advance your kingdom. All these things we ask and pray in Jesus' mighty, mighty name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. Last week, I received a a three-page letter. Now, in our day and age, it may be considered strange or a bit weird to actually receive a letter. I mean, we have text messages, we have emails, we have social media. I mean, it actually takes time to sit down and compose a handwritten letter. But this wasn't just your ordinary letter. It was from a guy who was in prison in Arizona. He is serving 19 years behind bars, and he will not get out until the year of 2030. And he wrote me because he wanted to talk with a pastor. Surprised when I received this mail, I read it carefully, word for word, as he told me his story of why he ended up in prison. I'm not sure if any one of you here have been to prison or visited, but it is a terrible place to go. As we read the epistle to the Colossians, know that the Apostle Paul penned this letter to the saints at Colossae while he was locked in chains, while he was in prison. Now, we know that he constantly was in jail for the faithfulness to the Christian message of the gospel, being flogged 
ran out of town, all for his uncompromising allegiance to the good news of Jesus. And as we think about this book, this is one of four different prison epistles that's in the New Testament, along with Philippians, along with Ephesians, and along with Philemon. The issue that he's writing to here is the Colossian heresy, or commonly known as false teachers. You know about them. They are notorious in the New Testament as they appear in multiple different congregations trying to combat the truthfulness of God's word. And they even appear in our churches today, don't they? Paul is writing to explain more more fully, more clear, the explicit teaching about Jesus. And our passage this morning is arguably the most clearest declaration on the person and work of Christ. And this church was dealing with people who were potentially being led away from synchronistic beliefs. When I say synchronistic, I'm talking about the buffet line of religion. You know, at Golden Corral, right, that that great buffet place, you, you get a plate, And on that plate, you put chicken, you put mashed potatoes and gravy, you put baked macaroni and cheese, you put all of that good stuff on that plate. Well, that's how some people were treating religion back in this day. They would take elements of biblical Christianity, elements of Jewish mysticism, Greek philosophy in a very, very early form of Gnosticism because it was not fully developed yet at this time. And they took all these beliefs and they put it onto one plate, trying to make it a big cohesive belief system. They had these incompatible religious practices and ideologies mushed together, and that's what Paul wants to attack as he talks about Messiah Jesus, and also to encourage the saints in Colossae. In our text, we have five reasons why he is supreme over everything. The literary context of my Bible passage is coming off the tail end of Colossians chapter 1, verses 1 through 14, where he opens up with a greeting, a thanksgiving, and, and, and a prayer. This is something common that Paul does in his letters. So the first reason for my note takers out there, he is supreme over everything is because of his divinity. The first reason is he is sovereign over everything because of his divinity. That is because of who he is. Look down at verse 15 with me. It says, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. This means that he is the exact representation, the exact resemblance of the invisible God. It is true that Jesus is the literal exegesis of God. The word in the original language for image is where we derive our English word from icon. It is not too far-fetched to consider Jesus as the portrait of God, as R. Kent Hughes says. Although this is a reality, it is so much more than that because the image also reveals the character, the attributes of the Lord Almighty. Amen? 
his love, his wisdom, his goodness, his beauty. Christ is the embodiment of Yahweh. The fullness of God was pleased to dwell, verse 19. Jesus personifies and represents who God is, who his father is. If you want to see who God is, look no further than the risen Christ himself. Hebrews 1.3 says he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. Christ is the perfect image of God. And he also represents what humanity was created to be. And it is true that human beings were created in his image and likeness, but sin entered into the world. Now that image is marred, it's scarred, it is broken. It's like that full mirror that was whole, but then it fell and all the pieces are scattered all on the ground. You can pick it up. You can even look at it. You can see glimpses of the, of the beauty and the goodness. However, it is still broken. That's who we are. Still broken. Still broken, needing to be made whole again. But Christ explains who his father is in a real and tangible way for us. Christ is the perfect image of God. Now, this verse also talks about that he is the firstborn of all creation. Now, I know at first glance, this may seem a little strange or may seem a little weird. But that's why it's important to read the full context of the passage to better understand it. Because if we keep keep reading, we will see that it also says, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. This should be standard understanding, but Jesus is not a created being. Let me repeat that. Jesus is not a created being. Because he was the one who created everything. I was on a plane a a couple of years ago. I was coming back from a a conference. And one thing about me when it comes to planes, um, anyone who knows me, I'm very terrified of planes. Um, I praise God for the technology, but it just seems a little bit unnatural to me to have a metal tube floating 30,000 feet in the air. But just saying, I was tired, nervous, I had a lot of work to do, and this married couple sat next to me, and they were so happy, so full of joy, and they kept trying to talk to me. Now, Trinity, y'all know when y'all not trying to talk to nobody, but they keep trying to talk to you. So they start asking me all of these questions and questions. So I decided to be a good Christian, and reluctantly, I engaged them in conversation. And the wife said, we are witnesses, standing for Jehovah Witnesses. And they seem like really sweet and genuine people, just like the ones I've met in the past. But perhaps they are badly misinformed on who the real Jesus is. She then asked, do you subscribe to any religious belief? I said, oh, Lord, here we go. (laughs) So after building some rapport with them, I said, yes, I'm a Christian. And interestingly enough, she came out and said, Jesus is a created being. 
which I thought was very interesting and bold for her just to come out and say that. But I said, if this is where we're going, let's talk about it. Then she pulled out this text, Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. She said, the Bible says he is the firstborn of all creation. Which is true. So what does, the, what does it mean when it says he's the firstborn of all creation? How would you respond if you're on a plane talking to people you really don't want to talk to? And they bring this up to you to try to prove that Jesus is a created being. Well, I'm glad you asked. We understand words have meaning, right? And in the Old and New Testament, some words have what we would call a semantic range, which means depending on the context of one word, it can have a different meaning in a different context. So it's always important to understand the context because it helps us understand the word. So the question is, how is Paul using the term firstborn? Is he using it in a positional sense or a chronological sense? Notice the word is written down in your Bibles twice in this passage alone. The firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. So from the context, it's clear that he's using it from a positional perspective. In other words, He's articulating Jesus is firstborn of all creation in regards to honor, in regards to rank, in regards to status. This does not prove that he is created. It actually points to the supremacy of Christ. We see this elsewhere in Scripture, don't we? You don't got to turn there or anything, but Psalm 89, 27 says, and I will make him the firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. Now, the context of this psalm is referring to King David, and he was not the first king appointed by God. Who was it? It actually was Saul. However, David was firstborn in the positional sense. God's chosen king within rank, within superiority. It is no different in our text this morning, Trinity. Christ is firstborn over all creation in the sense of first importance, of first rank. Amen? After mentioning this to her, she kindly changed the subject to something else. Make no mistake about this. He is chief amongst everything because of his divinity, because of his deity, because of who he is. He is 100% God. He is 100% man. He is the perfect image of God. Christ is the perfect image of God. The second reason is because he is the creator. Second reason is because he is the creator. Now, this is foundational for us to have a biblical or what I like to call a gospel worldview. It is to understand that Christ is the creator. Paul says here that he is not part of creation. He is the creator himself. He is not part of the creation. He is the creator Himself. It wasn't through the evolution or the Big Bang theory. It was by the Almighty's power, His strength, and His word. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. 
In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made. Jesus Christ is the creator. It was on June 13th, 1845. He was born. He was born in Mobile County, Alabama. He was the legal property of Nathaniel Howard. Translation, he was a slave. Treated relatively mildly as a slave, as he said, I think I can say that my master and I really loved each other. By God's grace, he learned to read at a young age. He then became to be the Baptist pastor and educator who founded the Dexter Avenue King Memorial Baptist Church in Montgomery, Alabama. Yes, the same church that Martin King pastored from 1954 to 1960. His name, you ask, Charles Octavius Booth. Booth wrote an influential, uh, important work during his time titled Plain Theology for Plain People. And in his first chapter, he writes on the works of creation, when we look upon the heavens and the earth, Fashioned by almighty power and guided by the excellency of wisdom, we see with our eyes and handle with our hands the evidence of the existence and personality of a superior being. We have never seen a thought nor purpose nor an emotion, yet we know that there are thoughts, purposes, and emotions by what we can see and hear. Even the words and deeds which thoughts and purposes create. It is thus that we see God in creation. My Bible is telling me and your Bible is telling you that God in the flesh, which is Jesus, is the creator of heaven and earth. How does him being the creator of everything impact your life? How does The God-man making everything visible and invisible shapes us as a community. What does it mean for all things to be created through him and for him? Since he is the maker of the world, everything is subject under his lordship and should serve to glorify him and him alone. Amen? Through him means he's the agent of creation, and for him means he's the goal of creation. Think about this. If everything in creation exists ultimately for him, then nothing can be evil in and of itself, maybe aside from Satan and demons. So when we think of work, for instance, work that he created, that is a good thing. So our jobs and our careers ultimately should serve him. How are we doing with that? To my college students in the room, how are your nursing, your journalism, your business, your biology, your engineering degrees ultimately going to serve our creator? For my entrepreneurs, my business owners, my self-employed, how are your vocations ultimately going to serve Jesus? Because everything that was created exists through him and for him. And that includes our work. That includes everything. The third reason is because he is a sustainer. He is 
a sustainer. He upholds the universe. How do we even fathom that in our minds? He upholds the universe. Many Greco-Roman philosophers said all things were held together by Zeus or divine reason in order to show the unity of the cosmos. Verse 17 says, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So no, not Zeus or any other person. It is Messiah Jesus who holds it all together. Notice how this connects to the two prepositional phrases in verse 16, through him and for him. And the third one is in him. Specifically in Christ, all things are upheld. How do we explain that? Because of his omnipotence, that is, his all-powerfulness, he sustains it all together. All things are indeed sustained by him because all things owe their continuous existence to him. There are people who are in this room who are still on their spiritual journey right now. And they have not placed their faith and trust in Jesus yet. But God being merciful and gracious is allowing you to be sustained even though you do not believe in him. He is allowing you despite you owing your existence to him. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. I am reminded by the love, the goodness, the incomprehensibility of God's power because he is eternal before all things. He's before all things and sustains everything because he is God. Because of his supreme sustaining power, he can comfort those in need. Because of his supreme sustaining power, he can comfort those in need. People who are struggling through various situations, some of them may be financial hardships, medical illnesses, marital strife, and the list can go on and on. And I would submit to you that there is nothing too big, too hard for God. God is in the business of comforting his people, especially under times of affliction and pain. All things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. I want to encourage you because the text says in him all things hold together. If he can uphold the universe together, then he can sustain your relationships as well. If he can hold your marriages together, he can do that as well. If he can hold the universe together, he can keep your finances in order. He can help your spiritual and physical health stay intact. He can hold your children together even though they go astray. He can hold your anxiety and your depression together when you've experienced it because he holds all things together. If you've experienced a death by a close one, When you are on a, while you're sermon prepping and you get a call saying that your brother has been hospitalized, know that God is a sustainer. He can even hold churches together that seems dysfunctional because the text says all things. God can hold all things together. Because he is a sustainer. 
All things is mentioned about five times in these verses alone, pointing to the supremacy of Christ. He is supreme over all because of his supreme sustaining power. He can comfort those in need, no matter what circumstances you may have. Amen. The fourth reason, because he has authority. The fourth reason, because he has authority. In our day and age, we we have a problem with authority. We have a problem with someone being over us. We have a problem with submission. We don't want anybody telling us what to do. We want to do what we want to do. We want to be our own gods and our own lords. We're like the people in the book of Judges, right? Everybody did what was right in his own eyes. And that statement is true for us today. Everybody does what is right in their own eyes. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever thought about who is in charge of the church? And why is that important? As much as we say, this is the pastor's church, this is the congregant's church, and humanly speaking, I understand what we're trying to say when we say that, but this is Jesus' church. This is Christ's church that he bought with a bloody, bloody price. Christ is the head of the church. His body and it is himself its savior. He is the head. He is in charge. He's the ruler and supreme over the body. He governs our ways and our steps. We ultimately submit to him and the people he has placed over us within his church. The covenanted people who gather regularly for gospel preaching and the proper administration of the ordinances. The term head signifies and refers to a level of authority. Since this is the case, how are we submitting to the ruler of the church? What does that look like? When things are not even going our way that we think they should go. When we're frustrated and disappointed, when we have been sinned against, what does your submission look like within God's church? Do you take the Lord's church seriously because he is the head? Jesus told Peter that he will build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail. The second half of this verse says the firstborn from the dead. And this is the second time in our passage that we see this word firstborn. And we uh, tackled this a little bit earlier. But this, this is encompassing his resurrection, which was accomplished so that in everything he might be preeminent. God's plan is not merely to sum up the old creation, but to inaugurate the new creation in and through him. Indeed, he is really the supreme Lord. Amen? The fifth and last reason is because he is a restorer. Because he restores things. The Lord has a restoring nature to him, and based on who he is, he is qualified to do so. 
Verse 19 says, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. This refers again to his deity, his divinity, his, his godness. All of God is in all of Jesus. All of God is in all of Jesus. And it was pleased to dwell. Because he was fully God. And because of the reality that he will reconcile all things. Everything that was flawed, everything that was wrong, everything that was shattered will be fixed. The broken mirror will be whole again. That's because Christ is a restorer. He's a reconciler. He puts everything back into its proper place. What Adam and Eve lost in the garden for humanity, Christ will gain back. Amen, somebody. When I think about the cosmic reconciliation, I can't help but to think of what that will be like. The beauty, the harmony, the perfectness. It will be better than what was experienced in the Garden of Eden. As Christians, we have to adopt what the scriptures say about cosmic recreation. Michael Goheen writes this, the restoration of the creation will be comprehensive, the whole of human life in the context of the whole creation will be restored. Because of his supreme restoring nature, he can reconcile all things. Because of his supreme restoring nature, he can reconcile all things. Ultimately, he's going to make everything right in the future. But what about now? I'll submit to you that he has the power to restore everything, anything that you may be going through. Trust God, be humble, and rest in his restorative grace. We can rest in that because he's making peace by the blood of his cross. It was at the cross of Christ where there is peace. It's at the cross of Christ where there is love. It's at the cross of Christ where there is forgiveness. It is at the cross of Christ where there is resurrection. If you're here this morning and you do not have a relationship with the Supreme One, then I will encourage you to embrace the truth of the gospel, the good news of the kingdom, to embrace God's grace towards people who are in need of a savior, to embrace whom he is, what he has done, his position, his supremacy, and what he will do in the future. I will urge you to repent from your sins and place your faith and trust in the resurrected Christ. I encourage you that you will bow the knee either unwillingly or willingly. Christ rose from the grave on the third day, conquering sin and death. And anybody who is rolling within him, anybody who has trusted in him will be redeemed. They will be a new creation. They will be made new. All of the promises of scripture applies. Everybody will bow the knee, either willingly unwillingly. And those who do it unwillingly will experience the wrath of God for eternity. 
But thanks be to God that he sent his son to take on the wrath, to take on that pain, to take on that excruciation for his chosen people. He sent his only begotten son to take our place on the cross because he is the supreme one. Jesus is the supreme Lord to make peace with God, the father and us, because the Bible says we were enemies. We were in enmity, but Christ died for the ungodly. If you believe in the gospel, if you believe in the good news, you will have eternal life because of his supreme sustaining power. Because of his supreme sustaining power, he can comfort you. And no matter what you're going through, because of his supreme restoring nature, he can reconcile all things. In our text this morning, we, 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 we learn about Christ being supreme over everything. So I submit to believe in him, to trust in him, to walk in his ways, to be in community, and to repent and believe in the gospel. Because Jesus Christ is the supreme one. And the church said, amen. amen. Let us pray.